for tuning in to Brothers of the Word, because, brother, you need the Word. And stay tuned today for a word from the Lord. If you don't need this word right now, I can guarantee you there will come a time in your life where you'll be confused, wondering what to do. And this word will come back unto you. So just keep the channel where it is. And if you're listening over the internet, open your spiritual ears unto this word. And we'll begin at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is in your program. The word of the Lord, starting at verse 18 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, reads, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And I speak to you today from the title of When Wisdom is Foolish. Turn to your neighbor and repeat it to them. When Wisdom is Foolish. And normally you're supposed to do what wisdom dictates you to do. And 99% of the time that's going to be accurate. That from your life experiences, from your schooling, from your parental Guidance that your parents have given you, you're supposed to follow wisdom in situations in your life. But there are a few times in this life, as indicated in Scripture, when it's foolish to follow the wisdom of man. In the beginning, Noah was told to build a boat, and it had never rained. Don't you know that that was foolish? Look into the people. That he's building this boat and we haven't seen it rain. And he's talking about not only is it going to rain, but it's going to flood. Can you imagine how foolish that looked? Abraham left his homeland and familiar surroundings to go to a land that God had promised him. And he'd never even seen the land. Moses gave up his quiet life in the country to go back to Egypt where he was wanted for murder in order to lead the people of God out of their bondage. David gave up his simple life as a shepherd to go and to pursue being king over Israel, even though it meant he would spend much of his life on the battlefield. Just imagine 
how he looked as a little boy going out to a field to fight a sword fight against a giant with a slingshot and five smooth stones. Imagine how foolish he must have looked unto the people. Hosea was told to marry a prostitute in order to demonstrate unto the people how they were treating God and how God felt. Now, I know some men that if God told them to go out and be intimate with a prostitute, they would do it. But marrying a prostitute is a different story altogether. They, they wouldn't even look for a confirmation on it if he told them... <laughs> Just to go out and get them a prostitute just for the night. They would say, well, if God said it, I believe it. <laughs> and Isaiah was told to preach naked and barefoot for three whole years. Now that's what I call an attention grabber. In some of these churches today, when you go by, you'll see... On their signs out there, they'll have little slogans and messages to catch your attention as you drive by. But a naked preacher, that's, that's a, what I call a real attention grabber. You know, it's one thing if I was preaching naked under a nice robe like this, but it's another to just preach naked with no robe at all. And I, I, I bet you if word got out that the brothers of the word would next Sunday... If we were going to be preaching naked, it wouldn't be an empty seat in this house. We'd have to fill up the basement with TVs to handle the overflow. And we'd have to go down to the stadium to park the people and bust them up. It's one thing to go out evangelizing with tracts and flyers as we're planning with calendars. And say, come here, a man who has saved my, have saved my soul and told me about Jesus and has told me things going on in my life, but it's another to go out in the fields and say, come see a naked preacher. <laughs> it's just something about nakedness that like intrigues people. Even with my small 10-month-old daughter, sometimes I'll be in the bathroom showering and my wife will come in to do her, the baby's hair and... Even 10 months old, not even a year, she can't even walk yet. Sometimes I'll, I'll stop showering and look over the her and look at the gaze on her eyes. And I say, Jane, keep your vision up here. <laughs> Am I telling the truth, mama? That's, that's 10 months old. It's something about nakedness that's built in our nature from birth that intrigues us. And it, it seemed foolish for a widow woman to use a last little bit of oil, last little bit of flour to bake a cake for a prophet who could go to many houses to eat. When this was her last meal for she and her son, it seemed foolish. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they gave up their lives as fishermen which was their careers and their livelihood, to follow Jesus, a stranger, a decision that changed their lives and history forever. And I'm sure that there were some who thought these people were crazy for doing these things. They would have asked questions like these, why does Abraham want to leave town and go to some unknown place? 
why would Moses put his liberty and life in jeopardy to go back to Egypt? Why would James and John leave their father in the boat and follow this stranger called Jesus? When you do crazy things, you can expect people to wonder about your sanity and you'll do these crazy things. And I'm sure the people, when they turned their back, they was doing their fingers around their ears like that. And it makes people wonder if you need to be on medication when they see you doing crazy things. And in the book of Jeremiah chapter 32, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time. I'm going to paraphrase this story. The prophet Jeremiah was asked to do something crazy there. And at the time this event took place, Jeremiah was in prison. And he was in prison because the king Zedekiah of Judah heard this prophet of God saying that the Babylonians were coming and led by King Nebuchadnezzar. And he said that basically Judah was going to lose this battle. And how many of you know, no leader of a nation, no military commander wants anybody going out saying, we're going to lose. So they put him in prison. And during this time, the situation that Jeremiah had prophesied had already come upon them. The city was already being sieged. The people were rightly terrified and everyone was wondering what the future would hold for them. They knew that the Babylonian army was not known for its kindness and mercy. They didn't know if anyone would be alive when these events placed themselves out. In the middle of this gloomy, depressing time, Jeremiah decided to buy some property. Better yet, God told him to buy some property. While in prison, Jeremiah was visited by his cousin and God had already foreshadowed this thing and already told him that he was coming and what to do when he got there. And this cousin came and he asked the prophet to buy a piece of land. And according to Old Testament law, if a man was forced to sell some family land because of debt or poverty, the next of kin had the right and the duty to buy the land to keep it in the family. And I tell you, even though God was in control and, and, and prophesied all of these things ahead of time, I tell you, looking at this story, to me, that was a low-down cousin now. Can you just imagine when land is not worth anything and, and this army is overtaking the city and they know that when the army comes in, that everything that they want is theirs, that deeds no longer matter. They take over all of the land, but money they can do things with. So can you imagine your cousin coming in, knowing about this law, and bending this law for his own good, it seems, and saying, you, uh, you know that cuz, you know, it, uh, the word of the Lord says that when you get in a little hard place here, that... If you come to the next of kin and offer him this land that he's obligated to buy it. And he knew Jeremiah was a righteous man of God. And this cousin brought this proposition to Jeremiah with the armies already taking over the land. But 
God had already shown Jeremiah that he was coming. And he told him to buy it. And Jeremiah then haggled with him over price, even though it was worth very little at the time. So he called for the witnesses to come. And he called for a scribe to come. And he made two copies of the deed. And he took his silver and weighted it out in balances and gave him a fair share for the land. And Jeremiah gave the scribe the instructions, even from jail, that God said to make two copies of this deed. And he took one copy and he put a seal upon it so it you would know if it had been opened or not and unaltered. And the other copy he left unsealed and they, he had to take the two copies of this deed and put it into a jar of clay and bury it. And these were the instructions from God. And I tell you, this was during a time when there was no hope in the city of Jerusalem. People weren't planning for their retirement. They weren't even planning for the next week. No one knew if they would be alive by then. To buy land when you could not be sure if you would be alive next week just seemed plain crazy. It was the dumbest investment Jeremiah could have made in the people's eyes. People were probably saving their gold in order to buy themselves better treatment by the conquering Babylonians. But Jeremiah spent his gold on a piece of land. It was like he was buying swamp land. And thousands of years passed after the Babylonians took over that land, even as Jeremiah had prophesied. It was only in recent history that archaeologists, they found some small clay stamps buried. And it was the same type of stamp that they used to seal documents thousands of years ago. The same type that would have been buried in a clay pot, that the clay pot would have been to preserve it over time. And when they put this stamp under the magnifying glass and looked closely, there they saw the name of Baruch, son of Neriah. The same name that Jeremiah mentions was the scribe that he called to come and seal the deeds to this land. And God caused him to buy this land at a time when gloom had overtaken the land, doing a thing that seemed to be foolish in men's eyes. But Jeremiah had prophesied that the conqueror of the land, but he'd also prophesied that one day they would once again become owners in this land. And God used this purchase as a demonstration of the hope that they were to have. And sure enough, they came back and possessed the land once again. And I'm sure before the mortgage crisis here in the U.S., before house prices dropped through the floor. I'm sure that God told some of his children that were about to buy a house just to hold up my child and just rent for this season. And that would have sounded foolish to a wise money manager, knowing that it's always better to rent or to buy than to rent. 
But God knew that prices were about to drop drastically and foreclosures were about to abound. I'm sure that before gas prices doubled recently, that God spoke to some of his children while they were out at the car dealership looking at big gas guzzlers. Saying, no child, get this gas economy car. And, and, and some of his children argued back and said, no, Lord, these, this big gas guzzler is what's in style now. Haven't you seen the latest videos? <laughs> Don't you know that this, is, this thing is what's hot right now? But God knew that that vehicle would soon cost them $100 to fill up at the, the tank. And they'd have to spend it week after week. And I'm sure you've all seen those little optical illusions where they look different up close than they do at a distance. Or you've seen those 3D pictures and, and you have to look at them real close and almost look cross-eyed at it. And, and all of a sudden the, the picture will come into focus. And that's how our lives are with God. He looks at a different perspective than us. We're looking at our situations, looking at the problems of the bills at hand. We're looking at what we're going through and what we're worrying about and the day-to-day -day things. But God is looking at your destiny and He's looking at your path and your development. He knows what you were created to do. And, and we're looking around at these things, but God is looking down and looking at the whole scope of the entire situation because all we can see is our past and our present and we can't even fully even understand those two. But God can see your past and your present and your future and He can look at the entirety of time as one continuum and to Him His perspective is different on your situation. The things we can't understand that appear as foolishness unto man's wisdom. But God's foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of men. And in one of the most obese countries in the world, it appears foolish to go on a 42-day fast with your church. Co-workers will look at you and think you've lost your mind passing up cooked food for raw or steamed food and drinking water instead of coke. It's the same thing that they thought about the prophet Daniel and the three Hebrew boys when they didn't eat the king's meat and didn't drink the king's drink, but put to the test for ten days. They came out looking healthier than the ones that did, and they were ten times the wiser. The king said that they're not eating my meat, but they can understand my dreams. They're not drinking my drink, but they know what to do in difficult situations. The king did not understand Daniel's diet, but he did understand that Daniel understood some things that others didn't. And I can remember Bishop Dale talking about when he was in college, and God gave him a word concerning one of his professors and something going on in the personal life. And Dale gave the, the teacher the word, and the professor came to him after class and scolded him. And saying that it's foolish of you to think you can tell me a Ph.D. and you trying to get your B.A. about something going on in their life. And Dale humbly sat there and quietly listened. 
And after this professor got through, Dale said, I just got one question for you. Is what I told you true? And the professor had to stumble with his words and say, yeah, it's true, but. And Dale stopped him and explained that this was God that gave me this word. The God that created your Ph.D. brain that allowed you to hold the information that you have. The God that gave the writers of the books that you read in school to get your degree. That same God that I'm talking about. This is the God that told me about what was going on in your world that I knew nothing about. And even when my wife and I got married, we had put plans together to build our dream home. And had found an architect and drawn up these super nice plans. And we had started construction on the house and graded the land and we were ready to pour the foundation the next day. And God, in the midst of this situation, stopped us and said, don't build on this spot. And we prayed about it and got a confirmation. And, but I tell you, to the banks it sounded crazy. To the builder it sounded crazy. And to admit, even to me it sounded crazy because this was our dream house. And I had put 15, over $15,000 in just the greeting of this land. But we stopped and prayed and God said to go back unto your father's house and the problem with that was, I had lived in my father's house for over 20 years. I didn't want to go back to my father's house. I had a dream house already planned out, but we obeyed and we went back and we knew it sounded crazy, but we followed God. And, but God knew that that house was a birthing place. He knew that this was Bishop Dale's first church for 13 years, and he knew that much prayer had been sown into this place. He knew it was a place of fertility where six sons were raised. And in our first six years of marriage there, God gave us four children. And we saw other new houses for sale after we got settled there and required of God, when will it be time to get our next house? And God said, wait for five years. And that sounded crazy again. And after five years, my sister-in-law, Simone, called and said, I want you to see a house. And we went and we saw it and we liked it. And when we asked the price, we found out that it was a double foreclosure. And we got the price for half what the first buyer purchased the house. And we signed the contract within 24 hours, exactly five years after God told us. And just close your eyes for a minute and be still and meditate on what you would really do if God told you something foolish in your life right now. We all say that we want to know the will of God, but most of the things God's called us to do, they appear foolish. What if God spoke to you and told you to walk off of your job right now and start your own business in this economy? What would you do? What if you were job hunting and God told you to take a job paying 20% less than another job offered? What would you do? What if you were single and God told you to don't date anyone for the next three years? 
What would you do when a good-looking man or woman came along and asked you out? What would you do? What would you do if God told you tonight to call someone who had mistreated you in the past, hadn't spoken to you in years, and said to just call up this person and say, I love you, and afterwards send them a gift, a random act of kindness? What would you do? And as this message concludes, I want to just ask our television and internet audience, what would you do if God shows you something foolish in man's eyes? What would you do? And I leave you with that question. I thank you for joining us at Brothers of the Word today because, brother, you need the Word. What would you do if you were married and finished having children and God told you to have more children and to do it in this time when money is tight and children are so expensive? What would you do if you're middle-aged and God told you to go back to school and get a certain degree? What would you do? And as the court shows a lot of times will say, that these are real situations and not actors. I tell you, these that I've described are real situations that people deal with every day. And they have to make a decision when God has spoken something into their life. Will I obey man's wisdom? Will I go by what I want to do? My plans, my goals, my vision for my life. Or will I do something that may appear foolish to my friends, that may not have a lot of pride built into it and prestige? Will I follow this that won't make me as much money? What will you do when a foolish word comes unto you? And even in times when foreclosures are ravaging the land. People are in distraught situations all over the country and they're trying to figure out what to do and so many scams are going on because they offer people a false hope. But I tell you people, in times when things get rough, that's the time when you most need to be still and know that He is God. You need to step back and don't look at the bills. You need to ask God, Lord, what would you have me do in this situation? And some of the things he may tell you may sound foolish, but I tell you, God knows what's best for you. He knows what's coming. And even my mother, God recently directed her to go back unto the old country place where she and my father was birthed, and she had to go back and buy land that was being auctioned off on the auction block. And it seemed foolish to go and buy this farmland that nobody is using. But she understands that God knows what's best, and she understands that she has 30 grandchildren. And she doesn't know what God may have coming down the road for these grandchildren. She doesn't know what may happen with a 
shortage of land. This land may be needed for all that she knows is God is leading her. And that's all she needs to know. So as I leave you today, I ask you, what will you do when a foolish word comes? And even man's wisdom, our top academicia today, PhDs, the top scientists in this nation, the majority of them don't even believe in God. With man's wisdom, with all of the computers and instruments, all of the satellites, viewing things all over the world, all of this technology and science, most of these top brains don't even believe in the one who created them. Man's wisdom is foolish when it compares with God's. So take this word with you today. When wisdom is foolish, God bless you. This ends message number 8213 by James Bronner. To hear other messages or to send this message number 8213 to a friend, simply go to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com. This has been message number 8213. Listen to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com often and keep your spirit charged up.